Hey everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, March 14th, 2021. Thank you for joining The Way Radio Live. I'm excited about today's message. I think it addresses a lot of the issues that we're dealing with uh, in the times in which we live. And I hope it's a blessing to everyone that hears it. If you have any questions or if you have any issues hearing or seeing, uh, you can comment. If you're watching on Facebook through our church Facebook page, uh, you can comment right there. I don't see any other comments until after the podcast, uh, unless you're watching on the church Facebook page. So uh, let's begin in prayer and we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we're able to gather here again to learn of you. Uh, to delve into your word, and to spend time in fellowship, even though uh, many of us are far apart from each other. And Lord, uh, we live in a time where your word means so much. It always does. Uh, But in a time of so much chaos and confusion and uh, rampant immorality and evil all around us, it is such a joy and a blessing to be able to simply open up your word and to move away from these things, and to spend time with you. And Lord, I just ask that you would bless each person that hears this message, that your word would go forth powerfully, that you would strengthen and edify believers. And for those that don't know you, that are still lost in their sins and trespasses, wandering through this world, uh, seeking to find something that's true, which is only you, Lord, and your gospel, that you would touch their hearts powerfully through this message. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message today is, How Do We Live Amidst Evil? And it's based on Psalm 37, verses 1 through 6. And these are the kind of sermons I really love writing and preaching because they come about uh, usually in the morning when I'm reading the Bible and I'm praying and uh, something I'll come across and all of a sudden it's like the Holy Spirit just um, opens it up to me and I grab my journal and I write down a bunch of notes and it turns into a sermon and that's what happened with this one. I think it was Monday or Tuesday of last week. I was reading through Psalm 37 and these verses, especially one through six, I just really touched my heart and I was able to just... um, uh, the Holy Spirit, like I said, just blessed me with a, a powerful understanding and, uh, and an ability to see how this is so applicable for the times in which we live. So I hope it's as much of a blessing to you uh, in hearing it as it's been a blessing to me in being able to write it. So as an introduction, I just want to say that uh, this portion of Psalm 37 seems to be so applicable for the times in which we live as we see America just crumbling around us uh, from moral decay and um, godlessness really is what we see happening. But this, I think you'll see that this uh, portion of this Psalm uh, can bless us so richly and help us keep our eyes focused on Christ and not be uh, drugged down and weighed down by what's going on in the world around us. Before I begin the sermon, or or as a preface to the sermon, I want to pose the question, how did we we end up in such a mess? How did we end up where we are today in the world, but specifically in America? How did we end up in such a 
terrible situation where we literally every day, it seems like something uh, new is being presented to us that's a threat to our freedoms, uh, whether that's freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the right to bear arms, um, the constitution is just being shredded. And uh, we see people in power in America uh, that, that seem to just convey evil intentions and they don't even hide it anymore. Uh, it becomes very concerning when you see what's going on. So how did we end up in such a mess? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from um, uh, a book, some sections, some portions from a book entitled, How Should We Then Live? It's It was written by Francis Schaeffer. Uh, the subtitle is The Rise and Decline of Western Thought and Culture. So you can see the the title there. If you're not familiar with Francis Schaeffer, um, he's one of my favorite writers. He was a brilliant, uh, I guess you could say Christian philosopher that had just a wonderful ability to look at what was going on in society, not just in modern society and in America and the world around us, but historically, and how a turning away from God over and over down through history led to just terrible declines in civilizations. And this book, How Should We Then Live, sort of goes into uh, what has happened to society over and over again as God has been rejected. And now that's how, how that's happening in America. Now, as I read this, I want you to bear in mind that this book was published in 1979. Um, so think about, I'd ask you just to really listen to the, to the portions of this the chapter that I'm sharing from is chapter 11. It's called Our Society. And, and consider that, that this writing has been out since 1979. As And why have not more people heeded such a wonderful writing that could have helped us avoid so much of what we're dealing with in American society today? And it really is amazing when you consider that two of the most popular Christian books for the last, I don't know, five or 10 years have been either Jesus Calling, which is an absolute spiritual train wreck, or uh, Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren, which is the same thing. Um, when you consider those are two of the most popular so-called Christian books, when you've had something like this that actually is biblical and conveys the gospel message, it sort of gives you an idea of where I'm going with this. We've gone so far from biblical truth, but just listen to what, what Schaefer writes here. I'm going to read some portions of chapter 11, so please bear with me. But it's fascinating that he wrote this in 1979 and then to look at what's going on in, in America around us now. He writes, Gradually, that which had become the basic thought form of modern people became the almost totally accepted viewpoint an almost monolithic consensus. And as it came to the majority of people through art, music, drama, theology, and the mass media, values died. As the more Christian-dominated consensus weakened, the majority of people adopted two impoverished ideas, personal peace and affluence. Personal peace means just to be let alone, not to be troubled by the troubles of other people, whether across the world or across the city, to live one's life with minimal possibilities of being personally disturbed. 
Personal peace means wanting to have my personal life pattern undisturbed in my lifetime, regardless of what the result will be in the lifetimes of my children and grandchildren. Affluence means an overwhelming and ever-increasing prosperity, a life made up of things, things, and more things, a success judged by an ever higher level of material abundance. So he's nailed Christ, or American society just in these two opening paragraphs right here. An unhealthy desire for personal peace, meaning I just want personal peace and I don't really care what's going on around me. That's why one of the main reasons America has ended up where it has because Americans have forgotten that the responsibility that we have as American citizens is to fight for what we are protected from, to fight for the Constitution, which protects us from the tyranny that we see rapidly increasing in America right now. So it's our own fault because we've been apathetic, we've sought personal peace, and we haven't wanted to pay attention to what's going on around us. And then obviously, affluence, meaning an overabundance of just things, things, and more things. That is American society right now. Our whole economy is based on out-of-control, unhealthy, idolatrous consumption. So he spoke about this in 1979, and it's just increased radically since then. And I'm just going to share little portions of this chapter to, just to sort of make you think as we move into this, this psalm that I want to preach on today. He continues, he said, the work, the work ethic, which had meaning within the Christian framework, now became ugly as the Christian base was removed. Work became an end in itself with no reason to work and no values to determine what to do with the product of one's own work. Again, a perfect picture of modern society. People work just for the sake of working, just as a means to an end, without any goals, without any higher purpose, just simply to get by day-to-day, -day, mindlessly working without any higher meaning attached to it, which Christianity and the Christian faith provides. When you're in Christ, you realize that your work is being done for a reason that is much higher than yourself. You are doing it to further the cause of Christ and to bless those that you can bless through the proceeds that the Lord blesses you with through the efforts that you put forth in the work. He says, drugs simply became the escape which they had been traditionally in many places in the past. We've seen a drug, we've seen drug addiction continually increase year after year, decade after decade, for probably the last 50 to 100 years in America. He says this one's big in the modern American church. Humanism, man beginning only from himself, had destroyed the old basis of values and could find no way to generate with certainty any new values. What he's talking about is the fact that since we no longer look to God's word as our measure of value and our standard of living, we look to ourselves, that's humanism, and nothing is there to guide us. That's why America is like floating around in the ocean right now without no guidance, no compass, and cannot find its way forward because America has rejected God and his word. He continues... Only apathy was left. In the United States, by the, by the beginning of the 70s, apathy was almost complete. 
In contrast to the political activities of the 60s, not many of the young even went to the polls to vote, even though the national voting age was lowered to 18. Hope was gone. Again, how did we end up where we are? People became so apathetic that they didn't even care about voting anymore. They paid no attention to what was going on around them, and they didn't realize that the, 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 the thing that was protecting them in America, the Constitution, was being systematically dismantled and destroyed and corrupted, and now we're reaping the result of that because we have had a very apathetic mindset for many generations, and that apathetic mindset has also pervaded much of the modern Christian church. He says, the young followed Marxism in spite of clear evidence that oppression was not an excess of Stalin, but was and is an integral part of the system of communism. What's the big move right now in America? It's a move towards what they're calling socialism, but really, it's just the opening the door to communism. And the people that are screaming that we should be moving towards socialism and communism are coming from a position of absolute ignorance. Because anybody that takes the time to study the history of communism, even just a little bit, realizes how horrifically destructive, murderous, and evil it is. But we see it growing rapidly in America right now because of the decades of what I've been talking about here. He says, communists have also used external oppression. Think of Hungary and Czechoslovakia. Now, I wish I could share this with those in the American government, um, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, all these you know, so-called leaders, which are really supposed to be representatives of the people, Biden, who are really communists at heart, trying to move us into communism, and all those that support him. I wish they could go back and talk to some of the people like, like this paragraph talks about from the 1950s. It says, communists have also used external oppression. Think of Hungary and Czechoslovakia. I'll never forget the day, November 4th, 1956, when Hungary was taken over. Listening in Switzerland to my shortwave radio, I heard the students repeatedly pleading in the English language for help, hoping the outside world would listen. I have a newspaper, newspaper picture of one of the girls arrested in Hungary. It is a portrait of a lovely Hungarian girl on trial. Her name was uh, Ilant Troth. She was hanged in July 1957. I keep her picture to remember, forget the past, <clears throat> and you will lose both eyes. And he includes the picture of this girl that died simply because she was making a stand against the communism that was creeping into her country. But again, do the people in America now have any understanding of this history? They can't, or they'd have to be absolute fools to think that it's going to be any different than it's been in the past. <clears throat> in the United States, many other practical problems developed as man's desire to be autonomous from God's revelation in the Bible and through Christ increasingly reached its natural conclusions. Sociologically, law is king. And he's referring to, there's a book uh, from the 1600s or 1700s written by a man named Samuel Rutherford. Uh, it's called Lex Rex. And it's if you went back to the time of our founding fathers and the writing of the American Constitution, I can guarantee you that just about every man in that room 
was familiar with the writings of Samuel Rutherford's and they had read Lex Rex because it is a wonderful guide to show how we must rely on God's law in order to properly establish man's law and how to run a moral civilian government. It's a very important book for you to read. I've got, I'm going to put a bookstore on the website for the church because I want to start sharing these books with everybody. But this is something everyone should have as well. So he says, in the United States, many other practical problems developed as man's desire to be autonomous from God's revelation in the Bible and through Christ increasingly reached its natural conclusions. Sociologically, law is king, was no longer the base whereby one could be ruled by law rather than the arbitrary judgments of men and whereby there could be wide freedoms without chaos. Arbitrary judgments, arbitrary laws. I'd ask anyone that hears this to, to consider that word arbitrary and to think about it often as you look at what's happening in America right now. One of the most glaring red flags that you'll see as a society is declining and as a civilization is falling apart is a constant implementation of arbitrary laws, regulations, mandates that no one really thinks about. They're just arbitrary. They're just made up because they sound good, but they're not based on any ultimate truth. And that's what we see in America constantly right now. In any ways in which the system is still working is largely due to the sheer inertia of the continuation of the past principles. But this borrowing cannot go on forever. So he was talking about America in the 70s, moving into the early 80s. This was published in 79. And now what we see is the inertia of what had brought America so far has slowed down to almost a complete stall. And now the wheels of evil are beginning to take over as we move away from our founding principles because we're not based on anything solid. The word of God, the law of God, we're based on humanism, which leads to arbitrary governance, arbitrary legislation, and nothing makes sense. And everything just rapidly begins to fall apart. And that's what we're seeing happening in America around us right now. He continues, as arbitrary absolutes characterize communist rule, so there is a drift in this direction on our side of the Iron Curtain as well. Remember, he was writing this when Russia was still considered to be behind the Iron Curtain. This means that tremendous changes of direction can be made, and the majority of the people tend to accept them without question, no matter how arbitrary the changes are or how big a break they make with past law and past consensus. Why do you think there's such an effort right now in America to erase history? Because it's easy to implement things that are arbitrary and without any precedence if you get people to forget about history and not to think. Again, remember that word arbitrary. This is the last couple of sections here. <clears throat> this section has to do with the abortion issue. And it says Supreme Court Justice <clears throat> White, excuse me, in his dissent to the court's action, Justice White dissented against Roe versus Wade. And he's, so it says Supreme Court Justice White in his dissent to the court's action stated, as an exercise of raw judicial power, the court perhaps has authority to do what it does today. 
But in my view, its judgment is an improvident and extravagant exercise of the power of judicial review that the Constitution extends to this court. Upon this arbitrary ruling, medically and legally, the Supreme Court invalidated the law on this subject of abortion of almost every one of the states in the Union. Further, this arbitrary decision is at complete variance with the past Christian consensus. In the pagan Roman Empire, abortion was freely practiced, but Christians took a stand against it. In 314, the Council of Ancyra barred from the taking of the Lord's Supper for 10 years all who pro procured abortions or made drugs to further abortions. Previously, the Synod of Elvira uh, in 305 to 306 had specified excommunication till the deathbed for these offenses. The arbitrary absolutes of the Supreme Court are accepted against the previous consensus of centuries as well, against, as well as against past law. And taking abortion as an example, if this arbitrary absolute by law is accepted by most modern people, bred with the concept of no absolutes but rather relativity, again, this is 1979, why wouldn't arbitrary absolutes in regard to such matters as authoritarian limitations on freedom be equally accepted as long as they were thought to be sociologically helpful? We are left with sociological law without any certainty of limitation. Folks, that is what they are ramming down our throats in the guise of trying to protect people against the COVID-19 virus, which isn't even that dangerous, that has an over a 99% survival rate. He's that's speaking directly to that as they were thought to be sociologically helpful. Wear your mask because it's good for society. Get your vaccine because it's good for society. Do what you're told because it's good for society. Give up your individual rights because it's good for society. Folks, that is how communism starts. A second possibility is the absoluteness of the 51% rule. In the days of a more Christian culture, a lone individual with the Bible could judge and warn society, regardless of the majority vote, because there was an absolute by which to judge. The absolute is God's word and God's law. There was an absolute for both morals and law. But to the extent that the Christian consensus is gone, this absolute is gone as a social force. Let us remember that on the basis of the absoluteness of the 51% vote, Hitler was perfectly entitled to do as he wished if he had the popular support. Now, did Hitler have the popular support? No, he stole it. If you read the history of how Nazism, how he, he, he brought Nazi, Nazism to power, national socialism to power in the 1930s, he did it through cheating and lying, just like Biden did when he stole the 2020 election. You see? But again, even if something is done legally and they get that 51% vote, the Constitution is designed to protect the individual against the majority. And we're losing the power of the Constitution. So the majority, who now is mostly brainwashed, mostly outside the Christian faith, mostly against the Christian faith, can go against the individual who tries to make a stand for God with the Bible in their hand. You see where I'm going with this?
But again, it's fascinating that this was written so long ago and it's so applicable to the times in which we live. I believe this is the last section here. Yeah. Edward Gibbon, who lived from 1737 to 1794, in his decline and fall of the Roman Empire, which he wrote in 1776 to 1788, said that the following five attributes marked Rome at its end. First, a mounting love of show and luxury, that is, affluence. Second, a widening gap between the very rich and the very poor. This could be among countries in the family of nations as well as in a single nation. Third, an obsession with sex. Fourth, freakishness in the arts, masquerading as originality and enthusiasms pretending to be creativity. Fifth, an increased desire to live off the state. It all sounds so familiar. We have come a long road since our first chapter and we are back in Rome. Is it not fascinating to look at those five points and look around at America and realize that they all have already taken place in America? Every single one. A mounting show, a mounting love of show and luxury. People worship these at movie stars and these reality stars that walk around and just convey this disgusting level of affluence. You see, they're not just envied, they're worshipped. A widening gap between the very rich and the very poor. What do you think what's happening right now? Why are gas prices increasing? Why is inflation starting to kick in? Why, why are we trillions upon trillions of dollars being sent out from the U.S. government every few months now in the name of a stimulus package when very little of it goes to the American people because they're widening that gap between rich and poor. An obsession with sex. Can we argue that America is totally depraved? Freakishness in the arts, masquerading as originality and enthusiasms pretending to be creativity. I wouldn't waste my time, but I know the Grammy Awards are coming up. If you watch that, it would be exactly what we're talking about. Freakishness in the arts masquerading as originality. There is no hardly any such thing nowadays as true art. It's one thing Schaefer gets into in this book is he looks at art from the time of the beginning of the Christian church until the times in which we exist now. And you can see a reflection of society's decline in, its, in the quality of its art or lack of quality nowadays. And last, an, uh, an increased desire to live off the state. That's what they're trying to tell people. The state will take care of you. We're here to help. So you're getting my point. Now you can see, beginning to see the answer to that question that I started with, how did we end up in such a mess? So now the question, which is the title of today's sermon, how do we as Christians live in the midst of such evil? How do we keep us keep our heads on our shoulders, keep our eyes focused on cross on Christ, proclaim the gospel without losing our minds and going insane as we see what's going on around us? How do we live amidst evil? And how do we live in the midst of evil work? Really, what we're seeing is the question is: how do we live in the midst of the evil workings of Satan that are being carried out? by the workings of Satan. How do we live in the midst of this? Let's look at uh, the psalm that 
is the topic of today. Psalm 37, one through six of David. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So what I want to do is I'm just going to go through this point by point, and I think it will answer our question, how do we live amidst evil? And this psalm, especially this first six verses, I believe, shows us the way to see things and the proper attitude that we are to have as Christians in the midst of a world in turmoil because of the workings of Satan through his workers of evil. So let's look at verse 37, 1 of David. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. We live in a society where evil and wrong are not only accepted, but they're celebrated and worshipped. Almost our entire entertainment industry, the music industry, the film industry, TV, whatever it is, makes their living off of worshipping and celebrating evil in varying degrees. We've now declined to a level where godliness and goodness are attacked and ridiculed and truth is hated. And I think that's what's causing so much distress to so many Christian believers at this day and age. I have people contact me all the time and anywhere from the extremes where people are suffering from what they feel is, is demonic attack or demonic oppression to people that have been Christians for, for years and years, maybe their whole life, and they're just suffering from a sense of darkness and a weight upon them because they can't comprehend what's happening in the world. And for, for generations now, we've seen evil and wrong celebrated and worshipped, but now it's gone to that next level of depravity where godliness and goodness are attacked and ridiculed, and anything to do with truth is hated. I mean, if you simply went on social media and just you could just post and say, there are two sexes, male and female, you would automatically probably have that eliminated by whatever platform you posted it on, or you would be attacked by a myriad of very misled and depraved individuals who would say, no, that's not true. Folks, that's logically true, but you get my point. But what I want you to understand, we've got to have a different perspective and we can't get caught up and weighed down by what's going on. We have to understand that the salvation, the promises, and the blessings that we have in Christ are both already and not yet. And the reason I say that is because those of us that are in Christ are blessed with salvation now already. The promises that we have in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ through God's word, the comfort that we have in the Holy Spirit, the guidance that we have by the Holy Spirit, the strength that the Holy Spirit gives us, we have now, but there's so much that we are promised that we don't have yet. So the reason that's so important is to understand that we are blessed beyond measure now, and we're looking forward to something beyond our, our wildest dreams. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, 
nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These are the kind of verses you need to memorize, folks. These are the kind of things you've got to have in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. And you will move through these times with a smile on your face because you will not be affected by the insanity in the world that's going on around you. Let's look at verse 2. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So he's saying that the evildoers and the wrongdoers, we are not to fret over them. We're not to be envious of them. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, this teaching is something that comes up over and over again in Scripture, especially in the Psalms and the Proverbs. The Lord knows that it is a great burden for believers to struggle and to do their best to try to get through this life faithfully following him and to many times be in need and want and in distress even. And then you see those that are of the world that are evil, that speak against Christ, and they're getting everything that the world could give them. They got money, they got fame, fortune, whatever it is. And that can get very frustrating. If you haven't experienced that as a Christian, try going into ministry for a few years. One of the, the greatest challenges in modern ministry, and I can tell you this from my own experience, is wanting to do so much and constantly being limited because you just can't afford to take advantage of the opportunities you want to take advantage of. While you watch false teachers doing whatever they want because their pockets are deeper than we could ever imagine because the world just pours money on them. That's what we run into in Kenya all the time. False teachers are just growing. False teachings are spreading like a plague all over the African continent. Like it is like they are everywhere else in the world. And they've got endless supplies of money and resources. And then you look at the true biblical ministries and we have to beg for every dime to try to just keep, make a few steps forward in the cause of the gospel. Now, it may sound not like I'm complaining, and, and maybe I am. It does get very frustrating. But I can tell you that we have something on our side that they can't even imagine. God does things with a little, and he outperforms anything that the world can try to do with little. So he always opens the door somehow, but it is very frustrating in ministry, like I said, um, really because what it comes down to is, is so many Christians are apathetic nowadays and don't understand that we need to be more engaged in the battle. But it says, so they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. The wicked will wither and die, but those in Christ will shine with his light. And that's the light of eternal life. These, This is that perspective that I'm talking about. This is that attitude that I'm talking about. This is how we have to understand things. When we see that going on, we have to realize that they will wither and die. Their time is very short, but we're dealing with eternity. And what we see here is a metaphor conveying the very short time that the wicked may prosper. Because if they're not in Christ, that is their reward. There is nothing beyond that. What appears so wonderful and fine to worldly eyes will soon fade and wither as the light of Christ is revealed. See, on that final day when the Lord returns, his light will blow away everything that the worldly thinks is meaningful and that they, that they worship. 
Worldly success and prosperity are gone in the blink of an eye when considered from an eternal perspective. So you've got to strive to have that eternal perspective and place your faith in Christ and not be drawn away when you see the evildoers and the wrongdoers seemingly prospering. Look at Job 27, 13 through 23. This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage that oppressors receive from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword, and his descendants have not enough bread. Those who survive him, the pestilence buries, and his widows do not weep. Though he hang up, sil though he heap up silver like dust and pile up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the righteous will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth's, like a booth that a watchman makes. He goes to bed rich, but will do so no more. He opens his eyes and his wealth is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood. In the night, a whirlwind carries him off. The east wind lifts him up and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls at him without pity. He flees from its power in headlong flight. It claps its hands at him and hisses at him from its place. See, what you've got to understand is those in Christ, we're going to inherit the world. Everything that the world was meant to be, that creation was meant to be, will be though will, will belong to, to us in Christ's kingdom. We will enjoy that forever. So anything of the world is just fleeting and will not last. You've got to remember that. David continues in verse three. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now he's showing us how to not get drawn into that negativity of getting caught up in envying or being upset about watching the evil and the wrongdoers prosper. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now understand, if we're going to trust in the Lord and to do good, it's all by God's grace. And if you want to be blessed with more of God's grace, you must strive and you must be diligent to be in prayer, to be in communion, to be in fellowship with him. We must be in the world, but not of the world. Folks, that, that seems to me like an easy one in these times. When you see things so blatantly out of whack, I, I think it's a little easier for us to be in the world, but not of the world. While those of the world seek for security that is fleeting and temporary, we in Christ dwell in peace, resting in eternal faithfulness <coughs> Excuse me, and security. Look at Proverbs 2, 21 through 22. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. That's the return of Christ takes them away, sets up his kingdom as it was originally intended to be, you see? As we see the prosperity of the wicked, we must remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. This is very important. I'll repeat that. As we see the prosperity of the wicked, we must remember that we walk by faith and not by sight. So the things that are seen should not be that big of a deal to us. What we see is temporary. The unseen that we have faith in is eternal. If we could see what we have faith in, we wouldn't need faith. Faith is believing in the unseen, trusting in the unseen. The deeper and stronger our faith, the less we wrestle with the desire toward misplaced trust in what can be seen. 
So that's something you should be praying for diligently nowadays, you guys. A deeper and stronger faith, a deeper and more vibrant belief. And it will arm you to move through these times. Look at Isaiah 26, 30 through 5. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. Trust in the Lord. He is the everlasting rock. Nothing of this world can compare. I love this next verse. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What an awesome verse. Delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I want you to understand that only those born of the Spirit can understand this. Only the born again can understand what this verse is saying. If you're not born of the Spirit, you may look at this and think, well, if I get excited and I talk about the Lord, then I'll have everything I want. That's the prosperity teaching. No, delight yourself in the Lord, the true Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, consider this. The old man, meaning those of us before we were saved, before we were in Christ, the old man in love with the world and its enticements hid from God and was in rebellion against him. The new man who is recreated in Christ, born again by the power of the Spirit, the new man fears God, loves him, and delights in him, delights in his law, delights in his mysterious way, in his, gospel, his ways, his gospel. So it's that total transformation that can only be had by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the gospel when we come to Christ. Look at Job 22, 21 through 26. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. We receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. Now, what? that's the desire I'm talking about. Then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. So what's he talking about? You're worshiping God instead of mammon instead of money. Then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then will your delight for then will you delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. So what I'm trying to get across is the fact that the desires of a believer's heart spring from the spirit that is born again, delighting in the Lord. Delights that are all of, for, through, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So your desires will be for God, and he will answer and fill those desires beyond what you can even imagine. Look at Matthew 6, 33 through 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What he's saying is the things that you think you need in the world will be taken care of if you're seeking him first. Seek him first, those other things become much less of a priority. He fills those needs, and it just it's just added to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Beautiful teaching there. Let's look at verse 5. Now he talks about our attitude as we go about our daily walk in, in Christ. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So whatever you do as a Christian, commit that to the Lord. Don't get up and go about each day trying to figure it out on your own, trying to go about through your own power. Commit whatever you're doing to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. If you're doing that, you can't go wrong. You really can't fail because you have the ultimate power in your corner. Go where the Lord leads and he will sustain you and he will provide for you. Look at 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, so, that, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Are you seeing what a blessing we have in Christ when you think about the darkness that people are suffering in right now? The confusion and the fear? I mean, this COVID thing has some people absolutely paralyzed. There's people that have literally been locked in their houses for over a year now because they're just sitting and listening to the lies on the mainstream news. And Christians, we have this. It's casting all our anxieties on him because he cares for you. We don't have to worry about these things and be stressed about these things. You see? Go to his word. Take advantage of what you're blessed with in Jesus Christ. It's awesome. In Christ, you will, now this is very important. Again, we're getting that contrast between Christ and the world. In Christ, you will walk contrary to the world, and those around you will continually walk away from you. Anybody that's been a Christian for any amount of time will tell you that one thing you notice is the longer you walk with Christ, the fewer that are walking with you here on earth especially if you're in ministry. When I look back at all the people that I've come in contact with or I've tried to work with or whatever in ministry, how many just fade away, go off into false teachings, whatever it is, the longer you walk with Christ, it seems like the less people are walking with you. But you have to understand that you will never walk alone. Remember, Christ and his gospel, especially during these times, tends to drive away more people than it calls. I think this is just a fact of the times in which we live. Christ and his gospel, especially during these times, tends to drive away more people than, than are called. It's just the way it is. Look at John 6, 66 through 69. This reiterates my point. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So what happened prior to verse 66 where it says many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him? If you go to John 6 and you read up to that point, you realize that Christ had been preaching the gospel message. This is something you've got to understand. Christianity has always been a low percentage game. You share the gospel with a thousand you might have 100 that seem like they respond. A couple months later, you might have 10 that are still seemingly interested. And maybe a few years later, you've got one or two that have become true disciples. That's just the way it is. But especially now in the times in which we live. And the reason I think that is, is because we are told that in the end times, there will be a great apostasy, a great falling away. And I think that's one of the reasons that that's such a severe problem nowadays. 
Then let's look at the final verse, 37.6. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. He will bring forth right, your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. What he's talking about is the Christian shining with the light and the life of Christ. Look at Micah 7, 7 through 9. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Now notice, it's really interesting. It says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. But then it says, until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Christ did that for us. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. We are vindicated because of what Christ did. Beautiful portion of scripture. Folks, I hope this helps you understand how we are to look at the times in which we live. And I wish I could say that, you know, I think things are going to get better. You know, COVID, they're going to finally give up on the whole COVID hoax, which I believe it is, and we're going to get back to normal. Unfortunately, evil rarely repents and rarely turns around uh, and does the right thing. And America, unfortunately, is under the control of very evil people right now, very evil forces. Uh, but again, that's not to depress you. That's just to make the point that we need to be arming ourselves. And when I say arming ourselves, you need to be making a concerted effort to nurture your walk with Christ. Be in the word, be in prayer, be in fellowship, and you will go through this shining brightly with the light and the love and the light of Christ. Um, be bold, make a stand. Uh, for the guys out there, you know, the Bible says, act like men, be strong, be strong in the Lord. And that's what we have to do. Uh, we're going to need to be very bold in the coming uh, weeks and months and years, I believe. Uh, but it's a fascinating time to be alive. Um, I think it's probably antiquated in a lot of people's opinions, but I believe men are made for battle and we are in a time of battle. We're in a time of war and we arm ourselves through this war, through prayer, through study of the word, through fellowship, through communion with the Lord. And uh, we need to do all we can uh, for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So just keep that in mind. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you again for this opportunity to preach today. And Lord, I just ask that you would strengthen each person that hears this message, uh, that in the coming week, you would open doors of opportunity for us to share the gospel, that we would make a stand for the gospel, and that we would uh, have the strength to not compromise, to not capitulate to this world, that we would go forth with boldness and confidence and courage, and we would stand for what's right, and we would proclaim the truth regardless of the ridicule that it brings. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, thanks for watching today, you guys. Um, I've been communicating more. I, I always communicate, but I've been com com communicating more with my friend, Pat Pastor Patrick in Nairobi, about the project of opening a 
uh, I'm just going to call it a Bible school at his location. He has a wonderful location for us to do this. He has um, uh, a church and he has a few classrooms that are next to it and they are not being utilized at this time. And I very much feel like the Lord is opening a door for us to uh, create something in this space and this location where people from all over Kenya could come and hear the gospel without compromise, uh, that their, any false teachings that they've been drawn into would be addressed, which is very common there, that we'd be able to make a stand against the new apostolic reformation movement, which is doing so much damage. Roman Catholicism is very prominent there. Mormonism is prominent there. Seventh-day Adventism. So there's a lot of false teachings that we need to combat. And you do that by teaching people the true gospel of Jesus Christ from God's word. And I just really feel like it's time for us to start pushing forward on this project. So I would ask that you would please pray about that. And if you can help in any way, please consider doing so. We need to begin raising as, as much funds as we can. And I'll be honest with you, with, with everything that's happened with COVID and everything else, uh, the ministry is basically fundless right now. Uh, we're just getting by uh, day by day. Uh, so we, this is a total move of faith, but the Lord always answers our prayers, and I know he will bring this about. And the way I want you to look at this is just consider that you could partner, be a partner with us in this endeavor, and what an awesome way to build treasure in heaven. What a way to have a, a lasting impact on the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So please consider um, helping us in this. We, uh, I haven't figured out how much we need to raise, but it's going to be uh, pretty substantial. But the Lord always brings it about. How did I get to Kenya three times <laughs> in the last couple of years um, through such a tiny ministry? And it's just the Lord um, really touching the hearts of just people that that have stood by my side. And like I've said, they've, they've held the ropes as, as I've been able to go down into the uh, the, the, the well and, and bring the gospel into the darkness. And I just ask that we need more rope holders and more people that are willing to, to become a partner in this and that see the, the beauty and the honor to be able to uh, be a part of something that the Lord is doing and to make a stand for the gospel in a place that's just so entrenched with false teachings. Uh, if you want to go to our website, it's the way r122.org. Um, you can listen to all the sermons. I publish the podcast usually Friday of the following week. Um, and you can find the podcast by going to the Christian Podcast Community.org and just look for the Way Radio in the search field. We're still on YouTube at the Way Ministry Church, and you can donate at the Way R122.org. If you have any questions uh, you'd like me to answer, uh, please just email me at chat at the way, the letter R122.org. All right, until next week, we will be back here, same time, same place. God bless you guys. Take care.